Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you came here to Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days, and our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word to hear the truth. I don't teach you fables. I don't teach stories. I don't teach feel-good things. I mean, the gospel and what Jesus Christ did for us, that's, that makes me feel good. <laughs> that, that is the story that I'm here to tell. I'm not here to tell you about you know, the, the popular topics of today's day and age. I'm not here to talk about other people or, you know, badly. I'm, not, I'm just here to tell you about the Bible, and I hope that's why you came to hear the truth. If this is your first time here, I'm Pastor Ed, and this is Gospel Saving Church. We're in McKinney, Texas, and um, we always start with a word of prayer, so if you guys would please join me, I would surely appreciate it. Ask God to help us understand and bless this message. Lord, thank you for bringing every one of us here, Lord. Thank you for those that come into my home every week for Gospel Saving Church. Thank you, Lord God, for those that come online all over the world. God, as I know, the messages reach thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of miles from my home in McKinney, Texas, and we praise you, God, for that, and ask that, Lord, each one of us, as I, as I prayed before the message, Lord, for all of us and for those abroad, I do pray that, Lord God, that people would not hear me and what I say up here, Lord, but rather that they would hear you, Lord, and, and hear your words, hear your Holy Spirit, that I pray, dear God, would change them. Uh, Lord, every one of us, Lord, whether we belong to you or whether we don't belong to you, Lord God, we, we need to change. Lord, for our human nature is wicked, Lord God. That's what your word says. Our hearts are wicked above all things, so wicked and deceptive, which, what man can know them. And so, Lord, we want to change, Lord. If we're yours, Lord, I, I, every one of us should have a desire to change more towards you, to be sanctified by you, to be more like you, Lord, to do things more like you, to handle people the way you handle people, to love people the way you love people, to serve others the way you, the way Jesus Christ and all his ministers served other people, Lord. And Lord, of course, if those that are listening are not yours, Lord, I pray a changed heart for them, Lord God, that they would humble themselves and come to the foot of the cross, Lord, come to Christ the way he says to uh, the Lord in, in his word. We, we thank you, Lord, for this message. We thank you, Lord, for your love. And we thank you, Lord, God, for truth. And this is a place for truth. We ask all these things and pray all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Lord. Amen. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 28. We're just going to be in verses 7 through 10. Not a lot of verses of our main study. We have another. We have a lot of verses that come in and into play with what we're going to talk about today, but we're just going to read for our verses of today. The main sermon is going to be based around Acts 28, 7 through 10. I'll give you a minute to get there while I'm looking. If you want to get there, that's great. If you want to read, if you want to listen to me as I read, that's fine too. The title of our sermon today, The Angle. Acts 28, 7 through 10, I'm going to read. You can again read along or listen along, whatever you'd like, but here we go. The Bible says this, Luke writes this for us today. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. Wonder why only three days? We'll find out. Verse 8, and it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. 
So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things for us as was necessary. So last week we read and studied the details of what happened to Paul and those that survived the shipwreck once they got to shore on the island of Malta. The natives of Malta showed them kindness, remember, and built them a fire because they wanted to, number one, they wanted to welcome them. Hey guys, welcome, you know, welcome to the island. Number two, they wanted to warm them up. Remember, it was cold. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And number three, they wanted to keep them dry for it was raining. What was Paul doing as one of the heads of the whole Christian faith at the time? Was he being served and asking for a latte and a nice tea and expecting those around him to serve him? No, he was being a real follower of Jesus Christ. He wasn't just sitting by the fire and expecting others to serve him. He was gathering sticks, serving, loving others, showing them the love of Jesus Christ by keeping the fire warm and by keeping the fire hot. Paul was loving them the way the words of Jesus Christ said to in Luke 9.35. Jesus said this, And he, Jesus, sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Paul here is emulating that. And as he's doing this, shockingly, remember, he goes and he gets some sticks, right? He gets some sticks. He goes to gather some sticks up and to keep the fire going, to keep the fire hot. And as he's laying the sticks on the fire, a deadly poisonous viper who was also trying to keep warm by the fire felt threatened by him and came up and bit him on the hand and he stayed there. And just the way I think of it is that he just stayed there and continued to pump that poisonous venom into Paul. The natives, though, they think that Paul must have been a murderer, that the world says karma, remember, or Jesus Christ said it was reap what you sow, whatever man reaps, that's what he'll sow. Hey, that didn't catch up with him on the sea. He, he, this guy is a murderer, and the sea missed him, so therefore karma or reap what you sow, it's got him. He's going to die, and so they expected him to fall down dead. Paul, though, he took no regard to what happened as he just shook the snake off into the fire and went about his business serving and loving others and keeping warm himself and everybody's keeping warm with him. No, car- no, no harm excuse me, came to him as the natives expected, even as the Bible tells us they continued to watch him over time. So probably as the hours of the morning went by, no harm came to him. And as they watched him, they saw no harm. They changed their mind. They said, man, this guy's not a murderer. He must be a god, right? Now, now they went overboard, like I talked about last week, but still, they, they still changed their minds and realized he wasn't a murderer. He must be some kind of good god, you know. So Paul wasn't worried about that deadly snake bite, remember, because he knew that Christ had told him he's going to Rome. And because he was going to Rome, nothing was going to stop him from doing that because Christ said it. Plus, Christ had promised in Mark 16, we talked about this also, that no poisonous snake nor any deadly drink would harm the one that was on his path. So God had Paul covered either way. Praise Jesus. Anyway, that was a quick overview of last week. Let's get on to our new section for today. And we're going to see that what we learned last week Uh, there's a reason why these two sections are together because that's where kind of it all plays together. Uh, You know, there's a little angle of a snake and then there's a little angle of something else we're going to read about. So uh, we're going to pick up today. This is where we open up today with Paul and his travel companions still on the island of Malta. 
still with 200 plus other people that escaped from the shipwreck. Remember, God not only allowed Paul his life, but he also allowed all the passengers on the ship to come and be alive. And God used Paul, <laughs> God used Paul to get these 275 other people, plus himself, 276, onto the island. Now God begins to use Paul on the island while they are all waiting for a boat to catch that's going to Rome. There was another boat there. It was wintering. There was another crew there that was smarter than Paul and his crew. Not, not necessarily Paul. I would say the, the owner of the ship and the centurion and, and the soldier and the, you know, the, the, the captain, they, they, they wanted to keep going for the money. There was another crew here that was on Malta that was wintering there because they knew, hey, we don't want to get stuck in that Eurocline. We don't want to lose our ship. So they're here and they're waiting for this ship to sail. They're waiting for it to finish to uh, wintering. And, and here we are, verse 7. Another account that kind of piggybacks off the first six verses of our message. Verse 7, read it for me again there, please. In that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius. So, so Publius, notice the scripture said there that he was the leading citizen, or better said, chief. Or if you really want to think of him, since he was not just a leading citizen, which means that there would have been many chiefs. No, there's usually only one chief. So you could think of him like the president of the island of Malta or the president of their uh, community of that island. But I think it's more along the lines of island, the way uh, at the very end of our scripture, how the whole island comes for Paul to heal them. Uh, think of this guy as really the head of the island. And so he, he was, of course, he had a pretty large estate or a large property there, which is pretty common for any president of any country. They're pretty exalted. They're pretty highly lifted up. Um, so Mr. President here, Publius, he, rest of verse 7, received us, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. So God put Paul into the company of the most important fella on the island who took a liking to him and his travel companions. And this chief, this president, took care of them and their personal needs for three days. And that means that he gave them a place to stay. So basically he opened up his home to Paul and his travel companions. He, he, I don't see him opening up his home to all 276 here. Remember, Paul only had a small travel crew. I, I would put him around maybe 12, you know, roughly 10 to 12 people. Remember, there was Paul, there was Luke, the scripture lists off for us, several others, uh, plus it says others. So I put him around maybe a dozen. So this guy opens up his home, gives him a place to stay, some stuff to eat, and entertains him. Talks with them. They had some parties. You know, they were, you know, hey, come on, let's have some fun, and I'll take care of you for three days. But just three days. And notice that it was the main guy of all the island. Now, I can't say 100% because the scripture does not but the rest of the sermon will be off of this assumption. And, and, I, and I, I think as I read it, God showed it to me. It was very clear. There was a reason why these two sections were together. Paul coming to the island with a travel crew, uh, getting a snake bite, not getting sick, the people seeing him, thinking he's a god, and then all of a sudden Publius gets to him and, 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 and attaches himself to him. I mean, just think about it. the president of the whole island uh, taking upon a visitor that had nothing... He was just just a guy that got shipwrecked on the on the on the on the on the island's beach, along with a bunch of other people. What 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 would be so interesting that a president? Think about it. We're not just talking about you know a, a, a you know 
a local church leader here or, 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 a, or a local business leader. This is like the president of the whole island. What would possess the president of the whole island to be attracted to one lone guy and his travel companions where he would open up his home to him for three whole days and only three days. Notice that. Here's where I'm going. I can't say 100% that Publius was doing this because he heard about the godlike Paul not being harmed by the deadly snake bite by the fire with the natives, but I will say this. It's probably highly probable. I mean, I'm 99.9% sure uh, that he had an angle with Paul. We'll talk about how we got to that anyway, but I believe that he had an angle that led him to treat Paul and those with him kindly and take care of him for, again, notice, just three days. Why just three days? Why no longer? I hope it'll become clear to you as I continue on this message. God showed me an interesting little angle in this message here. For nobody, no one, especially an outsider to an island, a visitor just walks away from a deadly snake bite alive, right, without any side effects, where, where those around him notice him and call him a god, right? No one does what God did with Paul without drawing huge attention, right? Uh, so I definitely think that Publius had heard of Paul's miraculous overcoming of the snake bite without harm, and because of that, he had a major reason to see him. Uh, people did the same thing with Jesus Christ, you know. A couple examples, Luke 4, 40-44, Bible says this, when the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, that would be Jesus, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Um, now when it was day, he departed and went to a deserted place, and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent and he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee and John 6 1 through 3 and 22 through 26 all kind of the same thing after these things Jesus went over to the sea of Galilee which is the sea of Tiberias uh, then a great multitude follow him verse 10 says 5,000 men which was really between 15 and 20,000 women and kids all together uh, because the Bible says they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. So notice, Jesus did a bunch of miracles. Multitudes followed him because he did those miracles. He got people's attention. The multitudes, people flocked to him. After this, Remember John 6? He gathers with his disciples, tells them that he wants them to feed them. Some 20,000 possible people there with just five barley loaves and two small fish, and they can't believe it, but he wins them over and then does a miracle of the multiplication of the bread and fish to feed them all. Then Jesus ends up leaving the party earlier than the multitudes wanted him to, and they track him down the next day, and this is that account here, verse 6, 22 through 26, on the following day when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except one by which the disciples had entered and that Jesus had it Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but his disciples had gone away alone however other boats from came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples they also got into boats and came to Capernaum 
seeing Jesus or seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered and said to them, and I find this so sad, such hurts my heart so bad. But most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. See, they wanted to see Jesus so that they could come to him to get more miracles. They wanted to come to him so that they could be fed more food. Uh, such is the life, you got to understand, of uh, the person that God does miracles through to others, right? Or I'll say this, such is the life of the one who pretends to do miracles for God that, you know, that's the, they're, they're one in the same. Once people figure out that someone is a miracle worker, they flock to that one because they have a special interest or angle in knowing them because the miracle worker can benefit them in some way. And sadly, just as those in that situation with Christ only wanted to be by him because he fed them and did healing miracles for them, most people are just the same today and most people have been just the same all throughout time. If they see or hear of a miracle worker, they blindly flock to that person, and sadly they do it without finding out if they're the real deal. They do it without finding out if they're really following Jesus Christ. People forget when they hear of miracles, hey, you know what, I forget. Uh, The devil also can do miracles. Uh, Don't forget Pharaoh's magicians, okay, in the Old Testament. They practiced black magic, and they did several of the many miracles that God gave Moses to do with the staff. They did the same ones. Uh, Remember the witch at Endor with Saul. She literally brought Samuel up to talk to Saul. Literally. That's not something that was just, oh, that's not fluff. Okay, this the Bible. It's real. It's, it happened in the Bible. It's real. It's one hundred percent accurate. The Bible's one hundred percent accurate. And so th- this 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 dark magic really works. There is still today an evil dark magic that people have that that people can do, and they could do miracles just like God's miracles. And so people they see a miracle worker. They don't. They put their brains in the back of their heads, and they think, oh, this guy's got to be from God because he's doing a miracle. And so they flock to him. Most of our most of the time in our day-to-day, sadly, most, if not all, of the so-called miracle workers that we've seen for a long time, especially in this country, are fakes and they're frauds. They're only doing it for money. They're only doing it to be famous. They're only doing it for stuff. Many so-called miracle workers deceptively heal people because they know that miracles draw people to their ministry. And of course, after people are there, guess what? Well, oh, we need your ministry or we need your money. Give, give, give. If you want these miracles to keep happening, if you want me to keep being able to do them, I need to be supported. You know, give, give, give. And all the people, they give. And they support these heretics, and they support these false healers, but then that's just what happens. Now, don't get me wrong, please. And I know I went off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I still believe that God does miracles through his servants' hands to heal people and do other miracles today. God's done them through me. God's done them for me. I've seen them with my own eyes. But most miracle workers that I've seen, that I've known of, have, have, have real ones, have not been in America, and they've not been in countries like Africa either, where they've fallen into like a health and wealth prosperity gospel. There have been a couple genuine healers, possibly in the last 50 to 75 years here in the U.S., but for the most part, there have been, the majority, I'll say this, have been fakes 
and frauds, and they've, they're only out there for money. And, and, and people in the times that these healers or fake healers have lived, including even today, well, there have been this, they were the same as with Paul here, with Publius. He had an angle for Paul to come and get to know Paul, and the same as with Jesus Christ, how the multitudes flocked to him. Too. They, bl- they blindly flocked and are still flocking to anyone they think is a miracle worker because they're users. And, and I'm not going to talk long on this. Please don't shut me off. I want you to do some soul searching. And I'm not talking about you, and I'm not talking about anybody in specifically, but I am talking about mankind, humankind as a whole. Uh, for FYI, there's a newsflash I have for you. Listening to me, you may have never heard this before, but you're going to find out today. But people generally are greedy. People generally are users. People use others. That may be an offensive statement to you, but it is a true one. Just just think. Just search yourself. I don't believe everything in movies. Uh, but the older day movies or the olden day movies, kind of like not the ones of today, the ones kind of from the 50s and the 40s and 50s and 60s, I do believe that they spoke a lot more truth in those movies. Like they, they weren't afraid to offend others. I mean, people just were used to it. People offended people and nobody got their panties in a wad and, and nobody got all upset and nobody was worried about being politically correct. They just said what was true and they didn't they didn't hold their tongue back and i really love those older movies because they were so much more honest than today uh today you you can't hardly be called 25 names from sunday if you believe in one belief or something now you're you're called a white supremacist or you're called a you're called a racist for this or you're called this or you just it's ridiculous nowadays we're, we're politically correcting ourselves out of a country but when I will say this, uh, there, there was an older movie that me and my family watched a couple Christmases ago. And I normally, as I said in the beginning of the sermon, I normally don't like to reference anything but the Bible or books or something or statements that people have made about the Bible, true things about the Bible. But, but for today, I will just make one provision. It's where the title comes from in our sermon today. But there was a movie that me and my family watched. It was a clean movie. Uh, it, there wasn't any profanity in it. There wasn't any, you know, smut. There wasn't any disgusting, you know, filth or, or nudity or anything. It is. We don't watch those kind of movies as a family. But um, it, it was called The White Christmas. And uh, it's, it starred some pretty famous people. And, and in the movie, uh, there were two stars. The two of the stars also played famous entertainers who were successful. And you see, they were called upon, seemingly by an old army buddy, to come and see these fellows, two sisters, this fellow's two sisters, perform an act for a local club. For they were trying to become famous entertainers too. Do you see where this is going? And the girls come out and see they do their routine. And they do this dance routine, and they're sisters, and they're, it's really nice. Again, it's funny, and you know, it's neat the way that they sound nice. And while the other two famous fellows are watching on. After the scene of them performing, they come and sit with the two fellows that, that they know that they, you know, that they're there. They know why they're there. And as they talk, one of the two fellows figures out that the two sisters sent to them just to get them to come in the name of their brother, who who knew them from the army. Uh, so it was a deception. So right, the 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 letter that these two fellows got was a letter that he they thought they were getting from their old army buddy, when in essence the letter came 
in, in his name from the two sisters. But of course, again, one of the fellows didn't figure out that out until he got there. So one of the two fellows figures that out and, and he, realize, he realizes why they called him. And as they sat together, because he, he figured out why they called him there, he, he says this, everyone has an angle. That's what he said. And she, of course, was very, very offended in the movie, you know, as her actress was playing, you know, the partner. How you, how dare you say, he says, hey, you know, don't get upset. It's okay. Really think about it. Everybody has an angle. And what that means is, is everybody, including you, including me, generally, we have some reason why we want to be around somebody else right? My angle for when I first met my soon-to-be wife 20, almost five years ago, was that I thought she was pretty. That was my angle. So I thought, she's pretty. She's a nice girl. She's friendly. Uh, she, you know, she seems nice. Wow. I, you know, and that was my angle, right? For going to her and talking to her. And then we ended up dating. And then of course, you know, end of story, we're married, you know, almost 24 years now, March. But so that's, that was my angle. Her, her angle for me, I, I don't know what it is. I'm sure if she got up here, she could tell you, but, but that's, that's beside the point. She had an angle. Why? She must've liked me. My angle is I have a job. Well, I need to pay my bills. So my angle, I went, I go around and I apply for jobs and I get an angle and I want, I need some money. I need to pay my bills. That's my angles why I apply for jobs. Uh, friends that I've had around me, their angles are, well, uh, you know, I've, I've known uh, people that uh, basically they're kind of lonely and uh, I, I'm a good listener. I do like to talk as well, but I'm a good listener as well too. And, you know, people's angle in the past, they're lonely and I'm a good listener. Well, they like, they know that I listen to them. So they like to hang around me because they know I like to listen to them or I'll listen to them and I won't shoo them away. So that's an angle. Everybody has an angle for why they want to be around somebody else. It, really, it was such an iconic, hard to hear yet so, so, so true statement. But everybody has an angle. Hence, again, that's where the title of the sermon came from. Getting back to Publius's angle with Paul, right? Did Chief or President Publius have an angle in inviting Paul and his travel crew to come and spend time, only three days, that's key to me, only three days at his abode, feeding them, taking care of them, having like little parties and, you know, enjoying themselves for, again, just three days. Well, I think we see his angle right here in verse 8. Read verse 8. And it happened, <laughs> yeah, right, and it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with a fever and dysentery. Paul went in to pray, in, to, uh, Paul went in to him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So again, it just so happens, yeah, right, that Publius's dad was sick. So he's running a temperature and had diarrhea, long story short, which is in Paul's day, first century, these illnesses left untreated really easily killed someone quickly. An untreated high fever causes your brain to literally cook in your skull. As a result, you begin to have seizures or hallucinate, and then hallucinations, and then you die. And then dysentery is also diarrhea. And again, we think today, oh, it's diarrhea. Yeah, I'll just take a little malox, you know, 
good no 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 left untreated diarrhea diarrhea also called dysentery will continue to dehydrate you and and shut down your body basically it stops your body from retaining any of the liquids that your body needs to sustain life right and a high fever which you're supposed to stay think about it with a high fever you're supposed to drink a lot of liquids right to help that fever go down combined with dysentery where you can't keep anything down it just kind of flows straight through you just think about that it's a deadly combination especially first century again they didn't have any treatments like we do today uh, funny thing you know life is very gentle it's fragile and boy it's short so the angle for our president publius here what i see anyway what i believe god showed me here again being that these two scriptures are coupled right next to one another, I see Publius's dad falling ill right around the time that Paul and his crew hit the island. And of course, Publius probably called the local witch doctor of the island to come and attend to him. You know, they had doctors back then, but they, you know, they weren't exactly the cutting edge, uh, you know, society here. Malta, these were kind of, the Bible calls them natives. You know, they, that's not really uh, highly developed people groups. You know, they're natives. They were more like kind of American Indians, you know, at first. So, so God does the huge miracle then, remember, with Paul and does not allow him to die from the snake bites. And the locals, remember, going back to those first six verses, see it and call him a god. And of course, as I said already earlier today, this kind of news spreads fast, which means that it would have definitely come to Publius's ears. He was, remember, the president of basically the whole island. And remember I said, kind of think it's funny that Paul and nobody and his travel companions, nobodies, they're just heading to Rome. They're from no, no certain Jewish city of Jerusalem or Israel. No, who, what did, this guy from Malta never heard of these people before. So how is it that the president ended up getting to hold Paul? Well, he, here's why he had an angle. He heard that Paul, Publius, Publius's dad gets sick, and I see him not getting any better, along with Publius hearing of Paul being some kind of miracle god, Right? So Publius, loving his dad and not wanting him to die, goes and gets Paul and his travel companions and entertains them by feeding them, giving them a place to stay, and being kind to them. Think about that for a minute. Why would a native, a non-highly, you know, they weren't, again, they weren't a society of, of great, you know, development. They were natives so that they were more like, you know, like, more like native Indian people. Think about it. Why would somebody with this mind frame go and get a miracle God that didn't get hurt? Well, think about it. After all, look what Publius did with Paul. He gave him lots of good stuff, opened up his home, fed him. Isn't treating a God that's among you in a generous way, isn't that typically the way that a lot of those, you know, even today, the the, 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 you know, the developing countries or the third world countries that don't have, you know, the, the, the modernization that we have, the, you know, they think uh, uh, throwing their volcano god, a person, uh, you know, some, a baby is going to stop the volcano god from, you know, offering him a sacrifice is going to stop the volcano god from exploding, right, and destroying the whole island. Well, here... This is basically what Publius does. He opens up his home, feeds them, gives them a good time. He's basically being generous to him so that he can write, so that he can basically appease 
this God so that this God could be there for his dad who's you know, not getting better. Then, then Publius here giving his dad a few days to see if he'll recover, but obviously he didn't and begins to seriously knock on death's door. Well, he has Paul there with him in his own home and he's also been entertaining him and, and, and blessing him with all these nice things. He brings his dad's illness up to him. Then Paul, the kindly loving man of God he was, hears of it. I wonder how. I'm sure Publius told him. He goes to the sick man, prays, then lays hands on him, uh, and God heals him through Paul's touch. Another wonderful miracle that the Lord Jesus Christ worked through Paul's hands. Praise God. And now, of course, as a result of Publius's angle and Paul's wonderful Christian heart to be the hands and feet of Christ, look what happens, verse 9. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. God healed Publius's father practically on his deathbed through Paul's hands. Publius was the president, so of course he spread the news like wildfire. And just like with Paul, just like with Jesus Christ, the people came running and flocked to Paul like flies to sugar. Again, the same thing as I've already read earlier, the same thing that happened with Peter and John in Acts 3, 1 through 11, where remember, they had the blind, they had the man that was lame from birth, and they healed him, and remember, they were in the temple, and thousands of people basically flocked to Peter and John right after that miracle. Uh, God healed this lame man through Peter and John's hands, and, and masses of people flocked to them like crazy. People, as I said, will flock blindly to anyone who does miracles. Their angle, the angle, the title of the sermon, they want something. That's their angle. They want a miracle. Who, who doesn't have an ailment that they, that they, if, wow, somebody can heal me? Oh my gosh, my, my mother has dementia. You know, I, I, I have not, but it would be real easy to go, oh, there's a healer over in Dallas? Tell my wife, come on, honey, let's bring my mom. Maybe he can lay his hand on her. Maybe she could be healed. I mean, it's a, who doesn't want my, I want my mom to be alive. I want my mom to, to be whole again, right? It's a natural thing. It's a natural desire. Somebody knows somebody heals and bring them all on, right? They want a miracle. Our angles are that we want miracles. We want a healing. Uh, they, they wanted something and they come in hopes of receiving it. Everyone has an angle, even Publius, his papa, was sick. And as a result of God's work through Paul to heal all who came to him just as Jesus Christ did in his ministry, look at verse 10. Uh, they also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. How long did Paul stay on the island healing people, blessing them and, and with God's healing touch? Verse 11, I'll go over it again next week, but verse 11, after three months, we sailed to the Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered on the island, like I told you about earlier. When Paul, his travel companions, and the rest of those in the ship crashed, um, of that ship crashed, departed after three months, Paul worked for these people for the whole three months. The islanders honored him and his crew in many, many ways. They basically gave them the stuff they needed for the trip that was ahead of them. Think about it. Paul and his crew, their ship got wrecked. They lost everything. They basically, they just had to take themselves, jump into the ocean, and you know, hope that God's promise was true and make it to the ocean. There wasn't anything they could have carried. They had to throw everything overboard, so they had nothing. 
The Islanders blessed them and gave them everything they needed to continue on their trip. But that is usually the case with those that flock to the, to the healers or the miracle workers of our day or even the fake ones. They, they end up basically throwing money and throwing money hand over fist at these people, which is why I believe, unfortunately, I, I have this... Uh, I have this belief, uh, it goes against the majority of the Christian world. I, I don't believe in once saved, always saved. And I, I do believe that people that are healers and that have been healers over, let's say, the last hundred years in America, I do believe that a lot of them were, were generally started out good for God. They were really genuinely people of God, people of Christ that had God's blessing of the miracle of doing healings toward others. But sadly, as they go on and people through the money and the fame and the fortune and everything at them, they ended up falling away from God because of it. And their genuine ministries of miracles and healings go south. And they, all their, miracle, their, their lives become about, I want the stuff. I want the fame. I want you know people's adoration. I want the money. It's really sad. In Paul's case here with these from Malta, I see them just being generous and giving them the things that they needed for their travel to Rome. I don't see them lavishly uh, you know, laying things on Paul. He really would have had no way to take it anyway. He was going to Rome and he knew, you know, I'm going to preach Jesus Christ there. What do I need things for? I just need stuff to get there, food, you know, nourishment. I don't definitely see Paul receiving any other adoration. Or, 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 and, or falling into sin because of it. In, in Acts 14, uh, he and Barnabas were there, and they healed somebody, and basically masses started coming and, and calling him uh, Hermes and Barnabas Zeus, and they started sacrificing to them. And, and so what does Paul do? He hears of it. He breaks down or breaks out in a sermon where, where he's preaching to them, guys, don't do that. I'm not a god. There is a god in heaven. I'm not, I'm not god, though. And then the people hear of it, the, the, they, they don't like it doing it. The, the Jews hear about it. They get the people to stone Paul. So I don't think Paul would receive a stoning uh, just, just a while before this and then here accept their adoration. I just don't see Paul doing that. Most everyone, though, coming back now and ending here in a little bit, most everyone has an angle, as I believe we saw here with Publius. Paul shows up in Malta. Following Christ's call to Rome, he gets bit by a poisonous snake, but God does not let him die because of it. Uh, at first, the natives, remember, think he's an evil man deserving a death, but after a while, they see that he's still alive and kicking as if nothing happened. They change their minds, and they think I'm a god. Pulis's dad gets sick around the same time. Paul shows up. Here's a, he, uh, Paul shows up, and and here's a, some kind of and Publius hears of some kind of God miracle. Paul, and he comes to Paul, and for lack of better terms, he winds him and dines him, right? And he wants to appease this, you know, wonderful God that he thinks is a God, uh, and you know, to come and heal his dad who's not recovering from an illness. Paul heals him by God's power and ability and the whole island hears of it and flocks to Paul like flies to honey. He ends up healing islanders over the next three months while they're waiting for the boat that's there to finish wintering its months in Malta and then they head to Rome. Most all people have an angle with others to some level and most again are only around others for something that they can gain and we are all guilty of this at times if not, this is the way we live our lives. This is the reason why we live our lives. I know of a fellow right now that he loves these online chat things and these online organizations and these online, you know, where they get together and they talk. And, and, and he is, his angle is these people love him 
and they kind of praise him and give him adoration. And so he feels like he's kind of the head over it all. His angle, he's going to stay in him because man, he just loves the way people praise him. He loves the way people talk good about him. Well, that's his angle. He wouldn't be doing it if he didn't have an angle to do it. People by nature, sadly, remember we have a sinful nature. We're users. And this is a hard truth to swallow for each of us, but sadly, it is our hard, sad, sinful natures. But I love how God works through and through people's selfish angles that we have with others and himself and also his ministers. And this is kind of a a neat way to look at the end of this idea here because, you see, God has an angle too. Actually, God has lots of angles, but he being good, loving, and perfect in nature has combined the, or has combated, I should say, the evil angles that we have by our natural sinful selves, and he has his own angles of his own, except his angles, you see, unlike ours, his are pure, his are righteous, his are holy. His angle he has with us is for our good. It's not to use us as we try to do with others. With his uh, it's, it's good. It's good for his ministers, and it's good with him. Thankfully, God has lots of angles for mankind to battle against ours. Uh, but per this message, and, you know, the angle that we talked about with Publius and how he had with, you know, Paul th- through his healing and everything, Christ uses healings that his real ministers do for others as an opportunity to tell them of the awesome love, salvation, and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Same thing that I believe happened here in Malta, even though we don't read about it blatantly as we usually do with other sections. But I believe God used the snake angle, right? He knew knew Publius' heart, and he knew Publius was coming to Paul because he had an angle to heal his dad. God used the snake angle to bring Jesus Christ to these Maltese people. Okay? We don't ever read about Paul again blatantly preaching Jesus Christ like he has in other places, but I do believe that he did, even though we don't read about it, because of what he did in verse 8. If you pop back to verse 8, we see this. Paul went to him, this would be the sick dad now, and he prayed, right? And he laid his hands on him and healed him. Well, think about this. You may think, well, you can't even prove that Paul mentioned Jesus Christ here at all. I actually can. I can't prove that he preached Jesus Christ like he did in other places where he stood up and he gave a, you know, hours long sermons, but I can tell you that he gave all the credit of the work to Jesus Christ. You see, if Publius thought that Paul was a god, Paul put him in his place right here when he prayed. Because we know from 1 Timothy 2.5 that there's only, as Paul writes to Timothy, that there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Jesus Christ. We know that Paul prayed in whose name? Oh, great Paul of the great universe. No, <laughs> no, sorry. Paul prayed in Jesus Christ's name. So at that, even at that, we know Paul prayed in the name of Jesus Christ, which was the God whom he served, the God, of course, of all heaven and earth. So right there, he preached Jesus Christ to these people, even if he didn't get up and give hours longs of sermons 
while he's healing. So I believe that Paul used the miracles, again, the snake angle that God did through him to heal these islanders of Malta to glorify Jesus Christ as God's Messiah and to tell them of the love, salvation, and sacrifice of Jesus Christ for their sins. I believe just like what Publius is dead, yet even more extreme, that Paul did preach Jesus Christ during the times that he was healing, being God's angle in spite of Publius's using one, right? God has a good angle, our angles are usually selfish, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not good, they're not, you know, <laughs> sometimes our angles are good and kind and loving, but a lot of times our, our angles, is, we basically just use people. Uh, pretty cool thing, I think, I, I know that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, but of course, you know, speaking about angles that people have with others. Now, I have to admit, in light of that, of course, I'm going to use the angle of teaching this message about Publius's angle to tell you a little bit about Jesus Christ and his love, salvation, and sacrifice for you and for your sins. You see, Jesus Christ loves you. That's what the Bible says, and it says that he died for your sins on the cross. He says, as I teach all the time, he became the substitutionary atonement for our sins. He took our place. We sin, we cut ourselves off from God. That's what God's Word says. Of course, there's no way back to God because there's no way to get to God through works. Nothing good enough we can do, or if I just lived the most righteous life ever, but only sin once in a while, you still sinned and you still broke yourself off from God. The Bible says there's only one way to go to God, that's through Jesus Christ and His death for us on the cross, uh, and that He wants to have a relationship with us and He wants us to be saved for all eternity. That's what Jesus Christ wants. Sadly today, very sadly today, and this one breaks my heart, but sadly today, many, if not to say the majority in today's world, believe that they're saved already by some kind of stuff that they've said or things that they've done or religion that they've practiced. And, and they think right now, the, the majority, the masses, they think if they were to die right now, they're guaranteed to go to heaven and be with God forever. But sadly, according to the Bible, they're wrong. Jesus said many would go the way of destruction and there'd be few that'd be that was saved. And, and, and I take you now also to some of these people. I say a, a large majority, as, as Jesus says many here in this section. But I, I take you now to Matthew 7, 21 through 24. Uh, Jesus Christ speaking about his judgment seat and conversations that he'll have with many that will come to him there. So you see, we all die, and when we die, we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, when we stand before the judgment seat of God. So we're going to be judged when we die. Well, here's what Jesus Christ is going to say to many. I want you to think about these words, okay? Matthew 7, 21 through 24, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So right there he just said, just because you call him Lord doesn't mean that you're going to be in heaven forever with God. That may be shocking to you. Those aren't my words. Those are his words, okay? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. What's God's will? Do you know? What is God's will? Not, no, not His will for you once you are saved. Those wills are very clear. Me and my son were just talking about this the other day. 
very clear when you get hired for a job that your job has work requirements for you. Nobody just hires anybody and says, okay, you know, go have a latte and a, or a glass of iced tea or a cup of coffee in the break room and, you know, after eight hours, just go home and we'll pay you. Nobody says that. You get hired a job, there's things for people to do. God has many wills for those that have been saved to go preach the gospel, pray for others, you know, do kind things, visit with, you know, widows and orphans. Those are good things, but they're not things that get people to heaven for you see, there, we can't be saved by works, right? We're saved by grace through faith. And then, but he goes on to say, so, so my question here, real quick before we move on, what is God's will for how you get saved? What is God's will for how somebody gets saved? Because that's the will that God's speaking about there. Jesus is speaking about there. Verse 22, though. Many will say to me in that day. Now, he's describing his judgment seat, where he's going to stand or sit while people come to him and they go, okay, Jesus, I'm ready to go to heaven. All right. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name, and then done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, remember, this is heaven, or right up, not in heaven, but right there by heaven, because anybody that's not truly saved is not going to be in heaven, They're gonna, but they're going to go stand before the judgment seat of Christ and God, which is, which is by heaven, right? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you practice lawlessness. Now, now think about this. These people believed they belonged to Jesus Christ and that they were saved their whole lives. That's what they think. Lord, Lord, they're calling him Lord. Nobody calls Jesus Lord unless they believe that he's their master and their savior. No Muslim calls Jesus Lord. No Buddhist calls Jesus Lord. No Hindu calls Jesus Lord. No atheist calls Jesus Lord. Only those that believe themselves to be of God's children, to be one, a follower of Jesus Christ, nobody says Lord to Jesus unless they think that they're that. And these people who called Jesus Lord, who thought they were his, believed themselves to be saved their whole lives. And then they find out even after death, they go to their graves believing that they're saved. And yet he says to them, Be gone from me. I never knew you. They find out at the judgment seat in heaven or by heaven that they're wrong. They argue with him. But then, of course, he has the final word and tells them, Bye, goodbye. And you know what that means. If you would profess Christ today, Calling him your Lord, how do you know that you're not one of these people? How do you know you're not one of the Matthew 7, 21 through 24 people? They were so deceived that they go all the way through life and even unto the grave, not really being saved, but thinking they are. Then they don't find out the hard, real truth until it's too late. <laughs> My angle to you today... Part of my angle, my listener, is that I use this message to bring you the real truth that you may not be saved like you think you are. And I want to bring you that message before you find out when it's too late, when you're standing before the judgment seat of Christ and he says, I never knew you. I, I, get out of here. You didn't do God's will. 
I want to bring that to you. This may be a hard pill to swallow, and you can shut me off or tune me out right now, but that doesn't change the facts of what Jesus Christ said in Matthew 7 and the plain and simple things that I pointed out from what he said. Many will come to him after they die and expect him to let them into heaven, thinking that they were right with him their whole lives. Then he turns them away. That hurts me. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, he says of his own mouth in Matthew 4, or John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, and that's what the, a real Bible says. But do you know what he said and how you must come through him in order to be saved? What does it mean to come through Jesus Christ? A lot of people say, well, Pastor Ed, I, I believe and I pray to prayer. Well, okay, is that coming through Jesus Christ? Because he describes it in Scripture and he speaks about coming through him as being a little bit different than just believing or praying a prayer. Now, those are just actions. So, believing, oh, yeah, yes, I believe in Jesus, that's great. Oh, Jesus, you know, please save me, I love you. But, but is that coming through him? He gave specific ways in which to come through him, but those weren't it. They're, they're like those ways, but do you know the way he said to come through him? Let me ask you a couple more questions, and then we'll, we're, we're done here. Have you ever read the Bible for yourself? Are you reading the Bible for yourself? Because the Bible has the answers, especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the New Testament. It has the answers. Those books have the answers to questions that I'm asking you now. Have you ever read those and, and, and know God's will, what God wants you to do to be saved? Uh, to how, how someone comes through Jesus Christ to be saved? Where do you think you'll stand on judgment day. If your answer really quick is, oh, Jesus, I'm saved. I'm, I'm going to heaven. Would he say the same? Would the Bible, the New Testament specifically, say that you lived a life that was like the one that a follower of Christ should live? Well, I'm just asking these, these questions. I want you to think. I don't want you to be the people, those that follow me, those that listen to my messages, that, that God's words that I teach. I don't want you to be the people that are standing in heaven one day, standing before Jesus Christ, and he says, get out of here. I never knew you. Get out of here. I don't want you to be those people thinking that you were right with him your whole lives. I want you to go to God's word, and I want you to seek Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and of course the rest of the New Testament. And Jesus said, seek and you shall find, asking you will receive, knocking the door will be open to you. Okay? He wants you to see if you'll actually seek him rather than just taking a preacher's word for it. I gave you some thought-provoking questions, but I don't feel like God wants me to give you the answers because, again, uh, the Bible says that those who want to know him should seek him as a precious jewel, like a pearl of great price. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Have you sought out God? Have you sought out Christ? Have you sought out his salvation, his ways? like a pearl of great price, like a, like a billion-dollar pearl that's buried in a field, and it's there somewhere, how would you go look for that? Have you sought out salvation and God's will and the way to be saved 
like that? Or did you just hear a preacher say, well, just hold up your Bible and repeat after me. Jesus, I love you and I want to be saved. Save me. And there you go. You're a child of God. Because that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. So please today, my prayer is that I hope you care about your eternal life. Because I hope so. Because I do. There's a growing deception that Satan, pe- Satan has people under in this world that we live in. And I wouldn't take anybody's word for anything anymore. In fact, I, I'm finding myself not believing anything that I read anymore at all. There's so many people that lie. So many people that lie. But if you go to God's word, which is ancient and eternal and never changing, God's not going to lie to you. And if you seek him, because that's what he wants you to do, he'll give you the answers to the questions that I gave you today. He'll give you the answer to, are you really saved? Are you really born again? Are you really going to stand before the judgment seat and Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord? Is that what will that be you? If I were you, I'd seek Jesus Christ and his word for the answers to these eternal questions of if I'm saved, if I died today, would God receive me into heaven forever? And I would do it now. Really, please, that's my prayer for you, that you would go do that right now. I pray that you'd seek Christ and Matthew through John the Gospels to find the answers to these eternal questions. And I pray that you begin to seek out these answers today. Let's pray. And I'm going to diligently pray for you that you do that. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And thank you so much, Lord God, for those that came and listened along to this message, Lord. And those that stayed to the end. God, I know there might not be people that stayed to the end. As I said earlier in the message, Lord, in our day and age, nobody wants to, everybody just wants to hear what they want to hear. Lord God, they don't want to hear hard truths, Lord. They They just want to hear what they want to hear. I talked about that last week, um, Lord, I believe it was. And, and this week I talked about how, you know, people are uh, like to use other people. And, and, but, Lord, people don't. We're, we're, we're politically correcting ourselves out, of our, out of our country right now. We're, we, we don't want to be, uh, we don't want to offend anybody with anything we say. Lord, and I don't want to offend anybody purposely to hurt their feelings or to, to, to you know, to be mean to them. Lord, I, I want to I purposely tell them the truths of your word, Lord God. Because I pray, Lord God, that you would help them come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's for those that aren't, the many that are deceived into thinking that they are. And for those that are, Lord, I, I pray that my, my messages, Lord, the words you speak to me would encourage them and edify them and help them to learn more about you and grow closer to you and fall deeper in love with you. That's my desires, Lord, for both the groups that may be listening to me right now. I do pray for those that are listening that are not yours but think that they are. Lord, those that are deceived out there right now, I pray, dear God, that they would seek you in your word. pray that they'd seek Jesus Christ, Lord, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And find out the answers to the questions I asked today. Find out what it means to come through Jesus Christ to be saved. Find out what it means to be born again. Find out what it means to have eternal life, to become a child of God. Find out what those things mean. And not just listen to whoever they heard that maybe said, well, pray this prayer or stay the, say this thing and, and you're, you're good to go with God. Lord, I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Please, Lord, help them to seek. Show them that they're not right with you. Convict their hearts right now, please. We thank you, love you, 
And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of all. Amen.